I'm so excited to talk to you, especially after reading your blog. And um, I've been really wanting to do also, you know, Bitcoin mining. So thank you so much for coming to the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So um, maybe before we start, can you introduce a little bit about uh, yourself? Um, I mean, I know that you are uh, doing like, you know, writing some blogs, but maybe a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been involved with Bitcoin since December of 2018. So only a couple of years now. And um You know, I, when I first got started, I wanted to build a Bitcoin ATM business and I moved my family up to Wyoming Mm -hmm. and that didn't really work out so well for us. So we moved back home, uh, which is Denver, Colorado. So not far from where we were at in Wyoming. And, um, you know, since then I've been trying to figure out other ways that I can create a non-KYC on-ramp for Bitcoin. Um, I think that's one of the most important infrastructure needs in the Bitcoin ecosystem right now. Um, I have very strong opinions about KYC and how dangerous it can be. And I have very strong opinions about self-custody and how important that is. Um, So, you know, my long-term goals are to build the type of on-ramp for people that I'd like to see in the world. And in the meantime, um, you know, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can about Bitcoin. I really like to explain things as I'm learning them. So all of the content that I'm generating is stuff that I'm sharing as I learn about it. And, um, you know, I, I've had really good reception to the content that I'm creating from the Twitter threads and uh, also the blog posts I've been, I've been posting on my website and um, yeah, I just try to share as much information as I can and, and fill this gap that, that I see in between like the developers creating the tools and the end users trying to use the tools. I think there's a lot of um, translation that can happen there. So I, I try and understand how to use the tools and and explain that so other people can follow along step by step and start using these tools too. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a little bit that you were um, you buy you bought Bitcoin in 2018, and were you? Um, really focusing a lot about privacy before Bitcoin or Bitcoin actually opened your eyes about KYC and and privacy aspect? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't really understand the full implications of KYC information when I was first getting started. I just wanted to get as much Bitcoin as I could. And every on-ramp I went to wanted me to take a picture holding my license or provide my social security number, my birth date, my address, all of my information. And I handed it over willingly. And I didn't, it wasn't until much later that I started realizing how dangerous that was. 
And then what really pushed me over the edge was when Coinbase announced that they were working with various government agencies around the world um, to, to help them with chain analysis. And, and that's, that's when I really pivoted away from KYC and really started trying to figure out uh, the best ways that I can procure Bitcoin without providing my personal information. And I've been trying to help share that with other people too. And so I've written a couple articles that, um, you know, are, are about my opinions related to the Coinbase announcement. Um, and, and I just try to alert people to the dangers of KYC and the importance of self-custody because I, I wasn't receiving that message when I first got started with Bitcoin. And I exposed a lot of my personal information to a lot of different people. And I wish I had never done that. I really do regret buying Bitcoin the way that I did at the beginning. So I try to be very vocal and advocate for non-KYC and try to get the message out clearly to people that are just getting started in this space um, or even people that have been involved for a long time but maybe like me they didn't quite understand the full implications of KYC um, so so yeah it wasn't until much later that I that I realized the kinds of risks that I was putting myself in by supplying KYC information mm -hmm. so for maybe for the listener in here who who doesn't really understand uh, about KYC, so KYC is a know your customer um, procedure that that a lot of uh, company use, right? For for anti money laundering, etc. But maybe Econo, can you uh, can you tell the listener like why what is the danger of KYC actually? Yes, so you know KYC regulations are. And the, you know these are. This is a matter of my opinion. In my opinion, KYC is a very invasive scare tactic that governments like the the United States federal government, the U.S. Treasury Department, they through their apparatus called FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, they enforce these know your customer and anti-money laundering rules on businesses that are involved in uh, money services. And the idea uh, stems from the Bank Secrecy Act and originally was designed to prevent Americans from funding foreign enemies. But since the original inception of these rules, it's morphed into what we have today where your personal information is being collected, analyzed, shared with government agencies, government contractors, private corporations. And what's happening specifically with Bitcoin 
is that the the thresholds of these regulations keep getting lower and lower. Uh, there there was a, a recent push called the travel rule, which if enacted would make it so that any money services business would automatically have to file a suspicious activity report to FinCEN for a Bitcoin transaction they facilitate crossing a US border over $250, which is a ridiculously low threshold. And so, so what's happened is these, these KYC regulations have turned into a privacy invasion and people are not being allowed to transact without automatically getting reported to a government agency. And when these government agencies start collecting users' information, like I said, there's the agencies themselves, which have notoriously bad uh, IT infrastructure best practices, there's the government contractors that are helping supplement their operations. And then there's the corporations themselves. So, and I'm sure I'm missing some other parties that are involved with this, but you have at least three major honeypots of information. And you're probably familiar with the ledger data breach where this Bitcoin hardware wallet manufacturer had their database of customer information breached. And I think the number was around 2 million users, their, their, their orders, details, their names, their addresses uh, was all leaked to the public. So for me, what, one of the biggest dangers with KYC information is the development of these honeypots. And it's only going to be a matter of time before either a government agency, a contractor, or a corporation who has this massive honeypot of KYC data gets breached. And this is uh, uh, the concern is even heightened more because as the demand for Bitcoin increases, the value of this type of information is also going to increase. So if one of these honeypots gets breached, then you're going to have your name, address, photograph, all of your personal details, and potentially your Bitcoin holdings, your Bitcoin addresses, and combined, those two pieces of information are going to create targets on a lot of people who, who are now being put in danger because some third party wasn't able to handle their information responsibly. We've, yeah. already, seen, we've already seen many cases of kidnappings and ransoms involving uh, people who are involved with Bitcoin. And as the demand for Bitcoin increases, the value of that information is also going to increase and 
criminals will go to greater and greater lengths to obtain that information so that they can uh, do kidnappings and ransoms. Um, so, so, the, so there's that danger. Uh, but then, you know, there's another facet of it and it's what happens when the government uh, recognizes that their nation's sovereignty is now being threatened by Bitcoin and they want to isolate that threat. I believe that they will stop at nothing to isolate that threat. And if that means throwing swaths of the population into prison to do it, then I think that'll happen. If it involves, um, you've, you're probably familiar with the term of 6102 order, where um, the United States government- Confiscated forced, gold, yeah. Yeah, they, they confiscated gold from their citizens. Um, you know, I, I think at, at the very least, if a government really thought Bitcoin was a threat, they would go to the length of a 6102 order. And if your identity is attached to a Bitcoin address and Bitcoin uh, funds, then, then you're going to be a target by your own government. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's really two two prongs to this threat model of providing KYC information to these third parties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, like very fascinating and, and interesting because like even in the early days, like, you know, how uh, the cyber punks like really, really try to focus on the privacy and, and as we can see right now, like whenever we want to buy Bitcoin, it's getting, more like harder uh, because uh, all the all the exchange will ask for your KYC and sometimes it's even like there are multiple documents that you have to provide not only just like your photo or your passport but maybe your bank statement your address and all this thing and yeah that's uh, that's 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 also a things to be considered for for everyone right yeah absolutely and it and you know, so you've got this, this two-pronged threat model on the user. And beyond that, the, the effect of the effectiveness of the KYC data collection and the anti-money laundering policies is very, very poor. Uh, it, it costs billions of dollars annually worldwide for businesses to comply with these regulations. And those costs get passed on to the end user. And the effectiveness of these policies is um, very low. There, there was a recent article, I, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, I'll, I'll have to look it up, but you know, he wrote a, a pretty thought-provoking article. I think the highlight was something like, these KYC AML policies, uh, re, they, they cost 100 times more than the uh, amount of funds that they recover from illicit activity. So you, you've just got this very poorly designed regulatory environment that doesn't produce what it purports to produce in results. And it puts people at danger, both from criminals and it puts people at danger from their government as well. 
So all around, it, KYC is just a terrible, terrible thing to be going on. And the fact that the Bitcoin blockchain lasts forever and it's public for anyone to see, having your KYC information kind of intertwined with that um, is it, just a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, really like things to be considered about that's for sure so let's let's jump into talking about bitcoin mining so then uh, because of this kyc you decided to uh, participate in bitcoin mining and home bitcoin mining and i think this is really cool because like even in the beginning uh, satoshi nakamoto talked about like you know if you want to get bitcoin you you need to also participate in bitcoin mining right like to to get like the rewards and then uh, from the transaction fees um so maybe can you s- explain a simple steps like how to mine Bitcoin from like, you know, from your home for, for beginners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some infrastructure that is needed, um, especially if the user wants to use uh, the latest generation of mining equipment, which is called uh, ASICs or apl- application specific integrated circuits. And, and basically it, it's just a, a really powerful computer. Um, this ASIC computer uh, usually ships from the manufacturer with um, very loud fans on either end of it. These fans are used to cool the circuit boards. And if you're gonna bring one of these computers into your home, like I did, Uh, you need to be prepared to handle that much noise somehow. These machines or these these computers are are designed for industrial applications where noise isn't an issue, where heat isn't an issue, where circulating airflow is not an issue. But for the end user who wants to try and bring an industrial computer into their living space, they're gonna to need to be prepared to handle the noise and handle the air ventilation to keep the machine or the to keep the computer cool. Um, and they're also gonna to need to be able to supply the power for it because these computers run on 240 volt power. And so there's some infrastructure considerations that people need to make when they want to bring one of these machines into their home. Um, I hired an electrician to help me with the electrical work because I wanted to install this machine in my basement and I didn't have 240 volt power supply there. Uh, so I hired an electrician to help me. The uh, relationship with my electrician uh, didn't work out so well. Scammers are not only in the uh, cryptocurrency space, they are uh, everywhere in life. Uh, And I unfortunately had a bad experience with the electrician. So I recommend anyone to definitely seek professional help if they are uh, in need of upgrading their electrical infrastructure, Uh, but make sure you're using a licensed professional uh, and, um, 
and you should be okay. Um, if you're a do-it-yourselfer um, and, and you're proficient with electrical work, then you would wanna run a 240 volt 30 amp circuit, at least 14 gauge wire uh, to power your, your ASIC computer. Uh, and then one, so once you have the power, then, you, then you've got to think about how you're going to get cool air to the computer. And then these computers output a tremendous amount of heat. Uh, the one that I got outputs roughly 150 degrees Fahrenheit at, at the output fan. So you have to ventilate your space somehow. You have to bring in fresh air and exhaust the, the hot air. In my situation, um, I, I took out one of the windows in my office and used that to plumb in a six inch ventilation pipe to bring in cool air from outside and then to exhaust the hot air back outside. Um, a lot of people have creative uses for the heat. Uh, in my particular situation, uh, I just, thought it was best to exhaust the air outside and, and get the project up and running. Um, so yeah, they, they, anyone interested in doing it needs to be prepared to uh, have the ventilation infrastructure installed as well. Um, and then, you know, the other big piece of infrastructure is the sound. You have to think about how you're going to mitigate the sound that this computer produces. Uh, if you have a garage or a shed in your backyard or, or something that's not so close to where you spend most of your time in your home, then it would be great to set the, the computer up in that area. Uh, for me, the computer is set up directly below my kid's bedroom. And so I really needed to do something to mitigate the amount of noise it was producing. So I got some standard construction materials like plywood and I built uh, an enclosure for the computer. And I built it so that it would dampen the sound and also allow the air to flow through it sufficiently to keep the machine cool. Um, so it, it, it took some forethought and um, some time to design it and put it all together. But the infrastructure requirements for running this kind of computer in your home are definitely the, one of the, the biggest challenges. Um, you know, technically speaking, setting up the miner is much easier than fulfilling the infrastructure requirements. So, so in the end, like, you know, if you want to start the, the Bitcoin mining, uh, first you need to really consider all the infrastructure bit where you locate it and then everything like with the sound and then the heat before you start mining. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. You, you've got to think about the infrastructure because there's, there's a lot to consider. It's, it, they're very, very powerful computers and, you know, they're built for industrial applications and, and you're literally bringing like industrial grade equipment into your living space. So you need to do so with careful consideration. Mm -hmm. And what about like choosing equipment? Because 
Um, I know like even just the simple of uh, getting a new microphone or new laptop, it can be a daunting task. Like there's so many things to choose. And I know that with Bitcoin mining rig, there are many type of um, this machine, right? So how how do you choose the right equipment? What is the indicator? So for me, I wanted to get as much hashing power as I possibly could out of the machine. So I, I was looking, I was looking at some popular brands like the Antminer S19 Pro. I was looking at the What's Miners, and you know the the I think the two big companies in that space are uh, Bitmain, who makes the Antminer and MicroBT who makes the Watts Miner. Um, there's some other brands out there, like uh, I think it's called Canon. They make the Avalon. And um, th the thing is there, there's not a tremendous amount of competition among manufacturers. And interestingly, that's having an effect on the ability to add new hashing power or more hashing power to the network. Um, at least I think that's what's having an effect. Um, and in recent months, it seems that the demand for Bitcoin has really been outpacing the overall network hash rate. Uh, and I believe part of this is due to the fact that there's, there's really just those two big manufacturers and they cannot keep up with the demand and any sort of logistics problems that they're having or delays in production uh, really affect the delivery of these computers worldwide and affect the ability for uh, companies or mining operators to expand their operations. So in other words, when you start shopping for mining hardware, you'll find that your options are actually pretty limited. Um, but the, the, the thing I would recommend looking for is trying to get as much hashing power as you can out of the machine. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the What's Miner that I purchased, which was the M31S Plus. Uh, it, it hashes at about 80 tera hashes per second and the idea there is that the evolution of mining equipment will continue to get better and better and in order to get as much useful life out of your equipment that you can it's a good idea to get the latest generation and the best equipment that you can afford uh, when you decide to start mining so like this, you should be able to mine profitably for a much longer period of time. For example, uh, the S9s, which were made by Bitmain, uh, they were an industry standard, but they're last generation's models. And I think they hash at about 14 Tera hashes per second. And even though they're last generation's models, there's still many of them that are profitably mining 
today, even with the new generation of mining equipment coming online. Um, I think that eventually those S9s will not be profitable and will probably be phased out. Um, and the new generation of mining equipment will take their place as the, the next generation comes down the pike. Mm -hmm. So do you also consider like the lifespan of this mining rig, like, um, like, you know, every, every, every electronical equipment will eventually like, you know, broken and all these things. So um, like how, how to um, also take into account like the, the, the lifespan of this mining rig? Yeah, definitely. That is a, a good consideration because you want to be able at least to get your return on your investment for the hardware. Um, the, the thing that I really like about the what's miners is that um, the, the person who engineered the S9s, which were the industry standard for many years, that person uh, left the Bitmain company and they now work for the micro BT company. And I believe that they were responsible for the design of the M31 S plus the, the model that I bought. Um, and you can see similarities between the what's minor and the uh, ant minor S9 in the single fan design, uh, single fan on, on each end. Um, where some of the other Bitmain amp miners nowadays have like two fans stacked on top of each other on either end. Um, so the S9s uh, have a very long lifespan from what I understand. Um, and I say that because even to this day, there's many of them still running. And so I think that the, the, the what's miners have a very good product and it, it has a, a very good design. And I think that they're going to have one of the longest lifespans uh, of any equipment that's available currently. Uh, if your electrical costs and the market conditions align, you, sh you should be able to return your initial investment in roughly a year. Uh, and the equipment should last much longer than that based on the lifespan that people are getting out of S9s that are well taken care of. Um, I anticipate being able to use this equipment well past the next Bitcoin halving. Mm -hmm. So, um when 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 the next bitcoin halving you already put another side like money aside to buy another rig like that like you need to also take into that account right well well what i'm saying is that i'm i'm anticipating using the same machine that i'm currently using now i think it'll it'll live that long and and continue running because it's that well built mhm mm um cool so um yeah what like what do you think is the the benefit of doing home mining because you know you hear a lot of 
people saying that you cannot really make any profit because the the big uh, the big Bitcoin mining farm, you know, they are the one who got the rewards. But uh, how a home miner can compete with this big farm mining? Yeah, the, there's so much common misconception around mining. Um, and, and I believed a lot of the narratives that uh, I would be, for example, some of the narratives that I heard before I decided to start mining at home. Some of the narratives were um, you would be better off just spending your money on Bitcoin directly instead of spending the money on the electricity or the equipment. Um, some other narratives were uh, you can't compete with the big companies that are setting up their operations near hydro plants or coal plants because they get their electricity so much cheaper than you could get electricity in a residential area. Um, and back in November, I read this article called Mining for the Streets by Diverter. And I, I reference him on my blog. Um, and I, I highly recommend anyone who's interested to start with his article, his guide, Mining for the Streets. I read that guide and everything he was saying was opposite of those narratives. And it, it really made me stop and question what was correct because everything Diverter was saying was not aligned with the narratives that I was hearing. And so it, it really made me stop and analyze the situation and do some critical thinking for myself. And the more that I looked into it, the more that I realized that the narratives were, were not adding up the way that people explained them to be. And so I decided to go for it and, and set it up. And, you know, I recently posted a, a tweet on Twitter uh, after my first month of mining, I, I received my electric bill. I'm mining non-KYC Bitcoin at home for roughly 75% below market price. Mm -hmm. a, lot of a lot of people assume that when you mine at home, you're actually going to be paying a premium for the Bitcoin that you're earning, that you're going to be paying above market price. In actuality, what's happening is that the demand for Bitcoin is outpacing the network hash rate. And even if you have expensive residential electricity, you can still mine Bitcoin below the market price. Initially, I didn't anticipate the, the margin to be as good as it is. Um, and I, I really had to like stop and double check all of my numbers because it, it was, I was literally in disbelief at how inexpensive, uh, at how much value in Bitcoin I was getting for the amount of money that I was putting into it. Mm -hmm. When I, 
and and so that's 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 one one part of it and you know the the other part of it is that mining at home solves the issue of permission it solves the issue of kyc information um it it helps you understand self-custody and start taking that more seriously um so when you mine at home you don't have to trust any third party with your information you don't have to ask anyone for permission you can just set up a mining computer at home and start earning non-kyc bitcoin and have it deposited directly to a bitcoin wallet that you self-custody that sounds really cool <laughs> i mean like there's always like this this thing right like when you people see the price of bitcoin going up like oh my god this is this is like way it you know you, you cannot really reach that full bitcoin because every day it's getting more and more expensive but with bitcoin mining this thing can actually you know can actually happen yeah, yeah absolutely you know I, i think i think the best way for people to accumulate bitcoin is through dollar cost averaging and when you mine mm -hmm. at home essentially what you're doing is your dollar cost averaging through your electric bill to convert the money you're spending in electricity directly into Bitcoin. And you're not putting yourself at risk by revealing any KYC information to a third party. And the funds go directly from the mining pool to the Bitcoin wallet address that you specify. And, it, it, and you, you wind up earning Bitcoin uh at a much 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 better rate than anywhere else you could possibly find bitcoin mm -hmm. and you mentioned a little bit about mining pool so maybe can you explain to the audience like uh how a home miner can can get this reward from the mining sure pool? yeah so you know the basic idea behind mining pools is that it's a lot of people working together a lot of mining operators working together to uh, pool their hashing power. And uh, the, the more people that work together, the, the better their chances are of earning the Bitcoin rewards for solving the blocks. And when you join a pool, um, you know, setting it up it is super easy. You, you open the configuration page for your mining computer through like a web browser. You just put the IP address in um, and you figure out which pool you would like to join. Uh, for me, I, I started with slush pool, but there's a lot of different mining pools out there. And you create an account with slush pool, which only requires uh, an email address and a password. I, I highly recommend using an email address that does not uh, contain any of your personally identifiable information. Uh, and, and once you have your account set up with slush pool or whichever pool you decide, uh, you just copy the URL that 
they specify into your mining computer's configuration page. And you save that and you turn your mining computer on and it lets the mining pool know that it's there. The mining pool kind of looks at your uh, mining computer and decides how much work it can handle. And it delivers packets of data to your mining machine and your, your mining computer starts calculating that data and, and sending the results back to the mining pool. And for the amount of hashing power that your computer is providing to the pool, you will earn rewards uh, based on the amount of hashing power that you're providing. And it, it really just comes down to averages. So, you know, on average, uh, with a machine like I have, or the mining computer that I have, um, I'm, I'm earning roughly 55,000 sats per day, um, which comes out to like just under 2 million sats per month. And that is strictly based on the amount of hashing power that my machine is able to provide to the pool. When the pool solves a block and earns the reward for that block, it has to go through a certain number of network confirmations before it's validated and can be spent. I think it's 100 blocks. And once it gets that 100 block confirmation, then the pool uh, can release those funds to the mining operators. Most pools require a threshold, like slush pool, for example. Uh, if you want to take your reward less than 1 million Satoshis or 0 0.01 Bitcoin, uh, they'll charge a small fee for that. So I like to accumulate my rewards with slush pool until it is more than 0 0.01 Bitcoin. And then I can withdraw that reward uh, without paying any extra fee. And so again, in the, in the configuration file, you just specify the, the Bitcoin address you would like your, your payout reward sent to. And, uh, and you can set the threshold so that it automatically sends the rewards to your specified address. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I recommend using a different address uh, in between every reward uh, because reusing addresses is bad practice. Uh, and I, I also recommend changing the amount um, so that it's not always like 0 0.01 Bitcoin even. Um, and then, you know, I, I also recommend taking your mining rewards from the pool and running them through a coin join implementation like Whirlpool to break the deterministic links to the mining pool. There's some considerations that, you know, in the event that we start seeing um, whitelisted mining pools develop or we start seeing government regulations really crack down on, on mining pools, there's a concern that the mining pool's wallet where the, the initial block reward is deposited first 
there's concerns that that mining pool wallet can become a choke point. And, and that's why I'm really interested in the work that, uh, I'm, I may not pronounce this correctly. I believe it's pronounced Laurentia pool. They're doing some work where the mining operators are paid directly from the Bitcoin block reward. It's, it's called a Coinbase reward. And I, I don't want that to be confused with the company Coinbase. It's, it's just what the, the block reward is called. And so the work that Laurentia Pool is doing is that when that Coinbase reward is um, awarded to the pool, the, that payout goes directly to the mining operator without first getting deposited into the pool wallet. So it kind of eliminates that potential choke point. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, mm. that's all I have to say about that. So yeah, I mean that you need to also take into consideration the the yeah the whole privacy aspect as well to make sure that um, this reward is untraceable as well. So what do you think is the threat for the home miners? I mean, you know, like what what do you think? Let's say if government look at your electricity bill and then start suspecting that you are doing Bitcoin mining, is that is that going to be like? a threat for you or like what other threats for, for home miners that we need to uh, think it, about? You know, it, it definitely could be, but there, you know, there's, there's a lot that would need to happen. You know, first, first Bitcoin mining would have to become a legal issue, um, which right now it, it's not a legal issue. And I, I don't really foresee it becoming a legal issue, but it's good to be thinking about the possibility uh, of that threat, um, you know. So, so if Bitcoin mining at home were to become illegal, then you would have law enforcement agencies trying to enforce that law, and they would start uh, looking for signs of infractions of that law. Um, depending on what their priorities are. Um, and if, if Bitcoin mining at home is their top priority, then yeah, they, they may start asking utility providers uh, to share information with them about residential properties that have had um, spikes in electrical usage uh, and uh, constant increases that remain steady in electrical usage. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it, it's important to kind of watch your, the, the footprint you're creating, you know, they, they say every contact leaves a trace. So when you plug the mining machine into your home, you're, you're now consuming a lot of power, which, which can be indicative of home mining, which, some agencies may be keeping an eye on at some point. Um, you know, other threats I, I think would be uh, sharing that information on social media or with friends and family. If, if word starts circulating that 
you have a Bitcoin mining operation at home um, and people find out where you live, then they can reasonably assume that you have Bitcoin in your home or access to Bitcoin in your home through your wallet. And, you know, they, they may kick in your door and uh, try to force you to hand over that Bitcoin. So I think if, if you want to start mining at home, you should really consider just keeping that to yourself or um, sharing it with very few people uh, mm-hmm. and not sharing that information on social media, especially if, if you're interacting on social media with your, with your real identity. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like uh, maybe talking about the electricity bills, um, like what was the spike that you got before you mine Bitcoin versus currently, like, like what is your average bill before? And then what is your average bill right now? That's a great question. So I had a, a pretty unique opportunity. My utility provider actually has a program called peak demand pricing. And I think a lot of utility providers will do this. So you can contact your utility provider and request that they install a different kind of meter on on your on your home and this meter will charge you uh different rates depending on what time of day it is the utility provider has kind of um figured out when their local um, service area has the most demand and they've developed these meters that will change the price of your electricity uh, based on whether it's a high demand time period or not. So the meter I had installed on my home before I did this uh, was charging me 12 cents in US dollars per kilowatt hour. And I requested the peak demand meter And I wasn't exactly sure what the pricing was going to come out to because they didn't specify that on their website. Um, and a couple, it was like two days after I got my miner up and running, the utility company came out and changed my meter. And I had to wait about a month to see what my actual electricity costs were. And with the peak demand pricing, uh, my costs for a 24 hour period average out to eight cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, so I got about f- a four cent per kilowatt hour discount or, um, and so I, you know, I recommend anyone who's interested in doing this, looking at their utility provider's website to see if they can get peak demand uh, meter installed on their home. Uh, and so at the end of the day, I was spending about $150 on my electric bill before I installed the miner uh, per month. And then this last bill that I had, uh, which included 17 days uh, of, of mining on the bill period, uh, was about $220. Hmm. So, so I'm, in, I'm anticipating like a full 30-day cycle with running the miner um, to be you know, somewhere shy of $300, somewhere between $250, $300. Mm-hmm. So it's not that big of like a jump, right? I mean, 
like it's just like an let's say an extra uh, electronic uh, equipment that you have running in your house or like you're running ac for like more than you are yeah. currently using for example like that yeah 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 it's the the particular computer mining computer that i got runs at 3500 watts um so it's you know it's a pretty decent consumer of electricity but it for running one machine at home i don't think that would be a red flag to any law enforcement agency that's asking utility providers um for that kind of information um mm -hmm. you know and granted I, I also live in a state where marijuana is legal and mm -hmm. there are a lot of people, suffice it to say, everyone in Colorado grows marijuana at home. They, <laughs> there, there's a lot of power consumption going into producing marijuana at home. And so in Colorado, if you're running one or two I even four of these Bitcoin miners at home, you're going to be a small blip on the radar uh, in comparison to some other residential power users that are doing other things with the electricity. Mm -hmm. And do you also consider like to uh, maybe subsidize your electricity with like renewables such as solar panels or something like that? Yeah, you know, I th I think it's a great idea if if that um, if if your home already has that pre-existing infrastructure, then yeah, I, I think that's great. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I'm not going to go that route. I, I did look at solar panels, but God, I was going to have to spend like another twenty thousand uh, dollars just mm -hmm. to install the solar panel. So um, for me, I kind of shied away from that, but. Yeah, you know, I, I think if if there's something someone can do to help supplement that, I mean, why not? Like, take whatever savings you can get. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe also the last question would be, uh, what what is your um, some kind of advice for people who want to do home mining, especially people in the developing countries like Indonesia? Yeah, um, be careful of scammers. There, there's a lot of scammers in, in the space that will uh, post very official looking websites. Um, I almost fell victim to one of them myself. And I highly recommend the um, Telegram group, the, the Oh God, I'm going to have trouble remembering it now. I think it's the... Um, it will be in the blog that will be posted in this link, right? <laughs> yeah, it's in the blog, but it's it's the, the Verified Listings Hardware Market Telegram channel. I recommend everybody start there uh, and, and try to try to find a deal that they're interested in. And even if there's a minimum order quantity on the posting, contact the seller if you're interested. Offer them a little bit more money for doing a smaller quantity. Try to work out a deal. You know, these, these guys selling the, the mining equipment in bulk, 
they're just regular people trying to make money like the rest of us, trying to do a job. Contact them. They're just regular people. Don't be afraid to contact them and 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 offer them a deal. Um, but I, but I definitely recommend sticking to that Telegram channel. Um, mm-hmm. Don't don't try to buy mining equipment on Amazon. Uh, I don't recommend trying to buy mining equipment on eBay. Uh, I don't recommend surfing the internet for uh, mining manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually, I found this out the hard way too. Like I, I had the intention of buying direct from Bitmain and I set up an account with them and realized that they require KYC information to buy mining equipment. Um, so it's, it's better to buy it through a reseller who's not going to require KYC information from you. Mm. Uh, so like what what is like the red flags that um, we have to watch out like you know maybe the price is like much cheaper or like like what is what you said that you got you almost got scammed before so what is what the things that you know pull you back from that deal yeah so, so for me it, w- it was it was availability so I, I found this website that said uh that they had the S19 Pro in stock. And I was like, ah, fantastic. I found one finally. Uh, so I contacted them uh, and they contacted me back very quickly. Uh, and they said that they do that they did have the equipment in stock. Um, and that's that's where I started hesitating. My, my intuition kicked in. Um, nobody, I mean, nobody had this equipment in stock except for this person who was very quick to respond to me uh, and was very eager to uh, have the transaction go through. Uh, they, they wanted Bitcoin. So I was prepared, you know, Bitcoin was trading at around roughly $18,000 at this time. And I was prepared to send them 0.25 Bitcoin uh, for this piece of equipment. Uh, so yeah, they were, they were just a little too, uh, anxious to get the transaction to happen. And it was just a little too convenient that they had this particular equipment in stock and, uh, and quote unquote available. Um, and it, it just made me hesitate and I'm glad that I did because, um, I did some more research and reached out to some more people and, uh, asked some questions on the telegram channels, um, and, and found out that that was not a reputable reseller. Uh, so I'm glad I didn't go that route. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, come back to the telegram, uh, channels that, you know, they can, they can tell if that's reputable or not. Yeah. So, so with the, with the hardware market verified listings channel, the, the people who are posting advertisements there, they have to provide their KYC information to the, um, like the person managing that channel. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're not a scammer. It's just that if anything goes wrong with the transaction, there's linkable information 
and there's um, there's more the, anyone trying to scam through that channel would have much more to lose than they would have to gain. Um, so that's why you you don't really see you don't see any scammers in there. They, they have nothing to gain by trying to scam people there. Um, I, I bought my equipment through Blockware Solutions. Um, they were great to work with. I saw them post an advertisement on the Verified Listings channel and I contacted them and asked them if they'd be willing to sell me just one machine. Uh, and they agreed and we negotiated a price and, um, you know, we, I sent them the money, they sent me the equipment and everybody was happy and it worked out very well. Blockware mm -hmm. Solutions also does uh, hosting. If any of your listeners are interested in mining, but it just doesn't make sense to do it at home, they can purchase the equipment through Blockware and Blockware will host the machine for them. They'll get a better rate on their electricity and they'll earn the mining rewards from that equipment. So that's, I think, a, a, a good solution for people who want to get started, but just can't do it with their current living situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. That's like really, um, really comprehensive um advice and before we close i actually have a little question in my head about electricity again so you said that you are um yeah you try not to do uh, you know kyc exchange but at some point you need to cash out your uh, bitcoin right uh, to pay for the electricity so how do you change that um, bitcoin into fiat money so then you can pay your electricity do you put like your money aside for electricity or um, do you transfer it from your uh, bitcoin that you got well that's a great question and you know the the short answer is that I, i'm not selling the bitcoin that i'm uh, earning from mining so I'm, i'm paying my electric bill out of my pocket you know i i have a day job a nine to five day job and um And, and I use that money from that paycheck uh, to pay my electric bill. Um, mm. But if I wanted to sell the Bitcoin that I'm mining, uh, I would take it to the BISC network. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, for anyone who's not aware, BISC, B-I-S-Q, uh, it's a, it's a peer-to-peer -peer exchange uh, where you don't have to provide your KYC information to a centralized third party. You can just um, post a trade to sell some Bitcoin uh, and someone can, can, take, can accept your trade. And then you make the, the fiat currency payment to your trading peer out of band and Once both parties have confirmed that the transaction has worked out, then uh, BISC releases the, the security deposit that's required from both parties. Uh, they, they release that security deposit back to, the, to both trading peers and, uh, and the transaction's finalized and you can move on. Um, so I really like BISC. Uh, I recommend that for anyone who wants to 
buy or sell uh, Bitcoin. Uh, definitely recommend okay. that. Over wow, thank you. Thank you so of- much. So BISC Network, if anyone wants to do a non-KYC trading. Uh, and I think we can wrap that up for today's episode. Thank you so much, Econo Alchemist. And for those of you who want to know more about uh, your work, you can check Econo Alchemist website at econoalchemist.com, right? That's correct. Yep. And, yeah. and I'm also very active on Twitter, so you can find me there. Yeah, and also find him on Twitter as well. So thank you so much for your time, Econo Alchemist, and I hope you have a great day. All right. Well, thank you. It was a Bye-bye. pleasure. Thank you for listening to the My Bitcoin Story. Stay tuned for more episodes and click that follow button.